Welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. How you all? How you all doing? Sorry, this is what happens when you go to Donegal for a week. All right. So uh, for those of you who are interested, I hope you were praying for us. Um, they had the worst storm, as a local said to us. They had the worst storm that they've ever seen for years. <laughs> and that brilliant. So I know you said that the, the weather was a bit rough over here. Uh, we were right out west in a place called Teelan, which is like the next stop is America. And uh, literally like the next stop, you, you step foot into the water in Teelan and you, you basically hit, hit, I don't know, somewhere over there, um, somewhere in America anyway, Canada probably. <clears throat> and, um, and so what it means is that you're battered, battered senseless. But I've, I've got, do you know, I, I did, Penny and I were thinking about this and you're thinking, why on earth, why would anyone of a sane mind go back? You know the way most of us have been to Donegal, right? And you've probably made a return trip there at some stage. And you have to ask yourself, why? Right? Why? Why would you do that? And I, now it's a beautiful county, don't get me wrong. If you're from County Donegal, bless you, hey, and all that. It's stunningly gorgeous. But do you know what it is? On the last night, the sun came out. And me and Penny were sitting in the garden on a deck chair with our coats on, to be fair, and hats. <laughs> Didn't matter. We looked along, looked around the place, the the sea was gleaming. The mountains were beautiful. And Penny was going like, here, we could maybe do a week next year. To which I went. <clears throat> I think, and that's probably it. We've all just had, we, you have a wee moment of something that go, that just keeps you coming back for more. Because it blots out the, the fact that the rest of the week, it was sub-zero. The rain was hitting us sideways. And I played more Monopoly with stroppy kids this week than, uh, I tell you, Monopoly's a great game for family. You start to see the... Uh, our hope, I tell you, she has. She, I, I, I ended up having to rob the bank for her <laughs> just to keep her smug. I was thinking, we've nothing else to do because the rain's hitting the window sideways, but she was running out of money quickly. So I was like pilfering from the bank to try to just keep her in the game. And she knew, do you know what the funny thing is? She knew because she could see me going like that and passing it so Sophie couldn't see it. And she just went like this. <laughs> and I thought, we slabber. She knows fine well. Anyway, so we had fun. Are you ready to learn from the word this morning? Uh, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a bit teachy this morning, if that's okay, because uh, uh, I think it's important that we learn, and I'm going to, I'm going to, um, we're in this series called St- about strongholds, and what I've been saying is that the, the biggest stronghold in your life is not something that you face outside. Of course, the world gets darker, right? Uh, you know, what should we expect? People who don't know God and don't know Jesus, we, we shouldn't expect in one way that, that, that they kind of reflect the goodness and the glory of God. Why would they? They're not having been born again. Isn't that right? And so we see in part, so don't, and the church should not be rallying against the world. Can I just say that? That's not our job. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Do you get that? Jesus loves people. He's not against people. He wants them out of their sin. And we're a firm believer in this church. We're, we're a church that is all about the grace of God. That does not mean that we're universalists. It, you know, you, the only way that you can enter in to the fullness and the favor of God is through Jesus Christ, okay? Coming to him and repenting, turning around and being forgiven and born again. We, we absolutely believe that. Is that okay? Is that clear for everyone? Unless uh, you go, oh, you grace people are all half bonkers. Well, we are all half bonkers, but not in that way anyway. And so what I've been saying is the greatest battle in our life is, is, is between our ears. Do you get that? And um, what I've been saying is that we, we cannot, here, here's my thought, here's my starter for 10. You can, oh, let me just get rid of that Donegal cough. Right, you can, do you know it's absolutely possible to hear the grace of God every week, every week 
to hear it, to be around it, to, to listen to this great preaching and other people who can preach not as well as me, but pretty good, okay? Give them a B for effort and all that kind of stuff, right? And you can be, oh, well, it's so fantastic. And then we, we put, you can have all of that and still be conformed to the pattern of the world. Do you get that? It is not a given that you, just because you sit under the word of grace that you will walk in grace. Those two are two entirely different things. Do you get that? Because the church, I, I, and I'm not rallying against the church. I'm not doing it. I'm trying to encourage you this morning to go, there's something in the church where we can hear the goodness and the grace of God, but we're still conformed to the prevailing patterns of thinking that exist out there. Yeah? I'm not saying that we're all like worldly. That's not what I mean. That, like we're doing what the world does, like going to the cinema and having a wee sneaky pint of Guinness. I had it, see Penny and Guinness. She has found a newfound love for it, all right? <laughs> to be fair as a husband, there's something lovely about sitting across from your wife as she has a pint of the black stuff and you're just talking about life, all right? Don't be shocked, okay? And she loves it. I had to pull her out of a couple of bars, you know. But you know what? She was in Donegal and nobody knew her, so I was like, that's all right. That is a total joke. If you're a guest, I am totally joking, all right? Just a little bit, all right? So, so let, let, let's get stuck into this because there, there's, there's a pattern of thinking, and, I, and I, I didn't know which way to put this today. There's a pattern of thinking in the world, right? If you go on, I, I, I'm, endless, as you know, endlessly fascinated by social media. I, 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 just the messaging is just incredible. So you have... If you go on the Insta, uh, Instagram, I can't get told off by the kids for saying Insta, Daddy, don't say it's so uncool. And, uh, but Instagram, uh, you have like, if you, you can't go more than five minutes, right? Where you can't see like, like posts, but quite frankly, people who look like him, you know, fit and healthy and, and all this kind of stuff, stripped of the waist, eating raw steak, going, your life can turn around if you follow my five steps and all that kind of stuff, right? So have you got six steps? Which one's yours? Can't remember. All right. Okay. But you know what I mean? And you have this, your, your life can be amazing. Your life can be this. And, all right. And I don't know about you, but I always kind of feel like I'm not enough. Anyone? I look at all that stuff. Go, not a chance. Sorry. Not a chance. You got me at stake, right? So there's this thing of going, like, the message of the world is you're enough. You can do it. Whatever you need is on the inside of you. And I want to call complete nonsense to that. Has anyone tried on your own steam to do anything meaningful in your life? What I mean in terms of changing something by your own effort and can honestly hand up to God this morning and in front of us all go, yes, do you know what? It changed forever because of me. Anyone? I see that hand. We all know what it's like. You normally fall flat on your face after how long? I'm going to go to the gym. That's... Not my one, okay? But other people. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to drink less. I'm going to read my Bible more. That's a good... Let's, I'm, going to read, I'm going to go through the Bible in a year. In January. Isn't that right? And here we are towards the end of April. And you're 19 chapters of Leviticus behind. Okay? And you'd rather stick pins in your eyes than have to go through 19 chapters of Leviticus and 47 Psalms just to get back up to speed. You're like, seriously? I can't do it. Anyone? Isn't that the truth? You know it is, all right? For this, you go, oh, no, I've done it all. Oh, well, good for you, bully for you, medals on the way. Mm. So what I'm trying to say is this. So it's either, like, what do we do when we know that we're not enough? Because the, the truth of it is, that's a stronghold for us. 
Many of us are, are, are struggling. We hear grace. We hear the favor of God, the blessing of God, the goodness of God. And, it's, and, and that is the gospel. That is the truth. That is God's heart for you, and it never changes. But at the same time, we feel conformed to the pattern of the world because what do we do when we feel like we're not enough? Because the lie of the world is you are enough, and quite frankly, you're not. Okay? Look for the hero inside yourself. No, don't do that. You'll get disappointed. Great tune, but absolute nonsense when it comes to practical wisdom. You're all singing that song now in your head, aren't you? <laughs> You've got to search for the hero inside yourself. Okay? Great song. <clears throat> I wanna, there's a beautiful picture of Jesus all the way back in Genesis. And what I want to do is I want to show you how, as it says in Romans 12, let, let me just read it to you, our signature verses for this, for this series. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to the culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. This is the key, okay? Recognize what he wants from you and then quickly respond to it. I want to say that to you today because I'm going to preach on him. Penny, I, I talked it through with Penny. She was like, yeah, well, let's know. And we had a, a conversation about it. That's what I'm going to say. And that's kind of what we do, all right? And, and, and it's good because it, it, it helps me to go, this is where I feel like I'm coming. She goes, I don't think that's right. Are you... Are you what are you on, or whatever, and I was like, I've been playing Monopoly for two days, this is just what I think it is, uh, help me out, I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore, uh, I, I think my kids are probably turned into some kind of flipping, kind of apprentice type thing, Sophie's just such killer instinct when it comes to buying stuff, I just, I don't even know if I, I love Jesus, and so just help me with this, that's what the conversation was, right, and so, because there's something in it that we go today, we've got to, we've got to understand that when you hear this, it doesn't mean that's just another wee bit of grace to make you feel better. Mix it with faith this week. Do you hear me? Because it's of no good to you, the word says, unless you take grace and you mix it with faith in order to see something happen. It is not an excuse for laziness. It's not an excuse for inactivity. It's not an excuse to go, someday my ship will come in. The maturity under grace looks like, God, you have said, now, therefore, I respond. Do you get that? And it's not in order to get from you, it's because you have done. Does that make sense? So when the Lord says he is your provider and under grace you are blessed, the work of your hands is blessed, my personal response is I sow and I give. Do you get that? And then the Lord blesses with, with, with even more. I don't go, oh Lord, I just want to see a breakthrough in my finance, but I'm so afraid the pattern of the world is hold on to everything you've got and you can't trust God with your money, right? Ah, but grace says, but mix it with faith, Right? And I'm going to show you, and whenever you go, I'm not enough for this, the Lord says exactly. Let me show you from the word right from the beginning that you were never enough. You were never designed to be enough. Jesus is the only one who's enough. Okay? Is that okay? Okay, good. So let's go. We're going to look. I'm going to give you a, a I'm going to set it up for you because um, right back in the beginning, let's talk about Adam and Eve. They were, they were, they were priests, priest kings actually on God's behalf. And what they would do they were sent to replicate God's rule over the whole earth, okay? So they would enjoy all the blessings of God um, as long as they didn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everyone's with me? You go, yeah, we understand this. This is brilliant. So what happens is, you know, if they eat from the tree, this is the context, then death and the curse will come. Now, at the very beginning, Adam and Eve couldn't live with their bit of the bargain. Do you get that? Just imagine it. 
Adam and Eve, from the very start, the Lord says, you will live, walk with me in the cool of the day, enjoy my fellowship close by. And at the very beginning, Adam and Eve just went, ah, whatever, all right? They, They were unable to fulfill their side of the deal. And they chose to disbelieve God and trust their own instinct, right? That's what we do today. We choose to disbelieve God and trust our instinct. Therefore, we're conformed to the pattern of the world. Does that make sense? And the pattern of the world will never bring you life, freedom, healing, and wholeness, ever, okay? If it's not born of the Spirit of God, it will only ever lead you to death. That's what the Word says, all right? But yet, we, you know, so we see right from the very beginning, they, they, didn't, they trusted their own instincts. When there was something that was right and wrong, they kind of under pressure went for, for themselves. So they sinned against God. They fractured that divine human kind of relationship, and it plunges us all into sin and death, Thanks very much, Adam and Eve. We all get to be born into it. And that fall accounts for all of the brokenness that we, and the corruption that we experience today. Now, as I was reflecting about this and thinking about it, I felt like, well, if, if right back at the very beginning, it, like even with those people who had God face to face, if they couldn't do it, what chance do I have? Like seriously, because I know that I'm not enough. I'm sick, sore, and tired trying to be enough disappointing myself, my family, God, and everyone else. And I know that I'm not enough. So where do I go? Where do I turn? Where can I draw hope and grace from for these days that I will see the goodness of God? Does, is, anyone, I mean, is that ringing a chord with anyone? Okay, good. Because it's fantastic. So the, where, where does it all hinge on? Right? So it all hinges on this thing here. At, at times I feel at sea. At times I feel afraid. At times I feel like I'm not trusting or what should I be doing more of. It's all about that. And the Lord said, says very clearly that the fact that you're not enough should never be a problem for you because I understood that from the very beginning. And so what the Lord did was he established what's called a covenant. Now, I realize that we use these words, and I, well, I use these words mostly from the front, and I bandy them about, and I think that most people understand what they mean. And then I realize most people don't have the first notion that, oh, yes, we're a covenant. God's grace covenant, that's what we all believe. And um, so let me just explain it, okay? Because covenant is where this sits. I'm going to show you how, how the Lord in covenant this morning has promised you that despite your failure, and despite the fact that you will never be enough, that you can believe that today, actually that's not what's most important because it's not about you, it's about Jesus and what he did for you. Does that make sense? So what does covenant actually mean? All right, this is where you're going to learn. So let me explain. There's actually no consensus in, in, like, amongst smart people about the number of covenants. I'm going to explain what it means. There, there are five explicit ones in the Bible, and they form the backbone, if you like, um, of, of the whole biblical story, our story. There's Noah, Abraham, Israel, David, and then the new covenant of God's grace, right? Now, all of these point to the climax of the story that we celebrated last week, which is Jesus and his resurrection. And you know what? Today, we don't talk a lot about covenants. We just kind of use the word and move on. But there's something that, like, but covenant is one of the most important themes in the whole of the biblical narrative because it's the skeleton, if you like. It's the, it's the structure in which the whole story is built. And if you can understand it more, do you know what, you know, it's interesting in your head, for sure. But do you know what tomorrow morning, what the difference will be for you tomorrow morning when you wake up and you've got to, for us, get those kids back to school? That's going to be crack, like absolutely class, isn't it? Holy smokes, two weeks off. Anyone? That's always if any parents in the room are going, oh, Lord. All right? 
Going to be tears and snotters. And that's just me, never mind the kids, for goodness sake, all right? Boom, boom. <laughs> but what, what difference will it make to be tomorrow morning? Well, actually, what it'll do is it'll give you something in your head and your heart to declare over your week to go, thank goodness for Jesus and his grace, all right? At the, at the start of a week when I think about all the things I've got to accomplish, all the things I've got to do, all the meetings I've got to take, all the expectations I've got to manage, all the things that are in front of me, thank you, Lord, that at times it feels like it overwhelms, but actually, that's not the issue. You're enough even when I'm not. Anyone? Okay, cool. So these, because from Genesis on, what God does is he enters into one formal relationship, a covenant, with different, different groups of people. And what happens is all these covenants push towards one point, and that's Jesus and his grace. Okay? So what is it? What is a covenant? We should ask a few people, okay, and see what you can come up with. Well, it's a chosen relationship or a partnership in which two parties make promises to each other to work together for a common goal. Let me say that again. It's a chosen relationship where you get two parties who make binding promises to each other, and they're going to work together to achieve a goal. And what happens is they're often accompanied by signs, oaths, and ceremonies. So think of marriage as an example. It's a good one. Covenants contain defined obligations and commitments, but they're not contracts, okay? It's really important. You don't, you don't have a contractual relationship with God. A covenant is not a contract. In the biblical times, okay, they weren't contractual, although they did define obligations and commitments one to the other. They are relational and they are personal. Do you get that? God is not a cold God. Jesus this morning doesn't simply look at you and go, I've written a contract between you and me. He's deeply personal about you. Do you get that? The promises that he makes to you are not cold like you would write up with a solicitor or a lawyer, okay, going, well, there it is. It's almost like a cold document. It's not that. He's making commitments towards you because of his deep love for you. And so a covenant is not contractual in the sense that we understand it. It's deeply personal and deeply relational. So it's like being married, isn't it? Like a husband and wife, we choose to enter each other into a formal relationship. And then what happens is, hopefully in a lifelong faithfulness and devotion, what we do is we work towards each other. We make promises to each other for common goals. For example, raising kids, right? So that's part of the covenant of marriage is to come together have children, raise them, and that's something that we, we agree together. Everyone understand me? And this relationship is actually very common in the Bible. I just need to build this foundation, and then I'm just going to bring it home for you. There are personal covenants throughout the Bible between two individuals. For example, David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 23. There were political covenants between two kings. So you go up from the personal level to the national level. You think King Solomon and King Haram in, uh, I think it's 1 Kings 5. Yeah, and you see those relationships. And then you have nations, okay, where there's covenants between nations. And so it was part and parcel of life. Part and parcel of doing life in the Middle East was covenant. It was dead normal to them. And so it makes perfect sense in the context of the Word of God that God would then reach out to us as human beings to reveal himself, okay, in a structure that everyone looking at would have understood. Does that make sense? Because in their world, when the Bible was written, it's like, of course, that's what you do. You have a covenant, you have an agreement, a personal commitment defining obligations and responsibilities with each other. Now, 
So what happens is God takes a small group of people and he makes a covenant with them. And in the Old Testament, there are four big ones. The first one is Noah. And what was the covenant? I'll no longer destroy the earth. Do you get that? This is why I love when you see the... Cra- the internet's brilliant for crazy people, isn't it? I, I follow... <laughs> much to Penny's chagrin, okay? Sadness. I follow a few like, here's loads of crazy people on the internet type, type accounts because they're just good crack, right? And some of them are like, God is using climate change to bring people to repent. <laughs> I written this this week and was going... So the whole thing of climate change, and all, which I'm fairly skeptical about anyway, I'm just going to put my hand up and show me the data, right? And, um, oh, that's, that's just chuck that, chuck that grenade out there, right? And, uh, and God's going to destroy us all. He's going to use climate change to bring everybody back. And, and I go, he actually promised Noah in the Old Testament he would never again destroy the earth. Anyone? Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. <laughs> Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Read the word of God. He will never destroy the earth again. He made that promise, not even under the covenant of Jesus. You get me? So that was the first covenant. So when I think about the world and the planet, I'm, I kind of go, I'm pretty, I'm pretty okay with the Lord looking after it. Oh, well, you know, what about the... Go out to the west of Ireland, let me tell you something, and you'll see a lot of what we... Anyway, a lot we listen to is absolute nonsense. Okay. The second one is this, is that... After Noah, he goes with Abraham. You'll be blessed in your descendants who will fill the earth. I'm going to talk about this one. Then one with the Israelites, which is the law. And then one with King David, the Messiah, would come through your line. So there's the four big covenants in the Old Testament. And each of those covenants served the purpose of creating a new partnership with God that we could be part of. But you know what? The people broke every one of them. Every single one. But nevertheless, even though they keep messing it up, even though you and I keep messing it up, all the way back in the old, the prophets talked about a day when God would again create a new covenant, one that would completely restore all the broken covenants that came before it, and that new covenant would be fulfilled in Jesus. And what happens is Jesus takes all of these covenants and he fulfills every single one of them into the new. Now, here's the thing. How on earth does that happen? I want to read to you from Genesis 15. And this is why I believe that when you understand the grace of God, you can see right from the very beginning to the very end, it's all about Jesus. Everything reveals Jesus and everything is a picture of Jesus. That's why you can be so encouraged. Like the Old Testament's not some dusty old relic, which is just full of mad stories that make no sense to your life. Actually, when you look at it through the lens of grace and the covenant of grace, what you'll see is that it all reveals him. And it keeps, and do you, know, do you know the good thing about that is? If you wonder about your life, I had a moment, I had a, I had a moment on Friday night where um, it was our last night in Donegal, doing on in a hall, as they say over there. And uh, that's Irish, see that? Slip me hard. Doing on a hall, it's Irish. Well, you've got a very Protestant congregation in here, right? And, uh, and so what, I was standing, and do you know what's, what's interesting when you're out in the country? and you've got no lights, you cultures will understand this, right? Like, you can see, you can see the stars, like, you've, like, unbelievably. Now, in the city, we miss this, but you go out into the countryside, and literally, like, there was no sound where we were other than sheep, and there was, like, this... And I was completely and utterly overwhelmed by the sky. It was incredible. It was... I actually got the kids up, right? And uh, Penny didn't know she was doing so. I said, girls get your coats on, get your shoes on, and just come out and stand in the garden with me. And we stand, we're right by the sea. 
And so the, the waves were up, and we looked up, and there was just like a billion stars, right? It was, it was just beautiful. We had the same thing in Kerry many years ago, standing just looking up at the sky. And I had this sense, right? You just have these wee moments of God speaking to you and going, you know what? See all this? I put all of this. I hung every single one of these, so don't you be worrying about what's going on. You get that? That sense of, in the right way, my smallness versus his greatness, and being sort of captivated by the beauty of it all and going, what the heck am I worrying about? The hands that flung stars into space say that they're holding you right now. And it's the same thing whenever you go to the Word, right back to the very beginning. If you worry about the detail of your life up close, seeing the big meta-narrative, the big sweep of Scripture, and then reassuring yourself that at every step of the way, what the Lord was saying to you is, I've got you covered. And actually, my heart for you was always grace from the very beginning, should bring you some comfort. Okay, so let's read it, Genesis 15, because this is about Abraham, right? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Elijah of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall, be, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Remember Abraham and Sarah, right? No kids, rightly on an age. Abraham's going, how the heck is this going to work out? Right? I know you've promised, but I can't see it in the natural. Anyone ever feel like it in life? God, you promised me. I'm looking at it in the natural going, how on earth? When I'm looking, like, honestly, with these eyes, I'm looking forward going, I don't know how it's going to work. That's exactly what Abraham is doing here. It wasn't like a holy the now conversation, like, oh, Lord. Da, da, da. He was going, seriously? How on earth is this going to happen? All right? Really down to earth. And the Lord's going, I promised it, so you're not going to have to take a substitute. The son that I promised you will be your heir. What he's saying is this. Whenever you can't see it, don't think that God's promise is going to be delivered through a natural means somewhere else that you might grab. If I promise it, I will do it. So just watch what I will do. You get that? That's what he's saying. Okay. So, okay. And he, he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. All right. And he believed the Lord and, he counted to him, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you up out of, of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? There he goes again. So he sees it. And he goes, so he sees the promise. But the problem is he goes, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I can't be enough. So I see the promise, but I don't know how it works out in real life. That's what, that's, he's saying it again. He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old. How long was the ministry of Jesus? Three years. Now listen, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, and a ram, three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Why the detail? Because when, what we do know is whenever Jesus goes and to the cross, what is he? He is the culmination of every covenant that has come before. He's going to fulfill every covenant that's gone before. He's going to be the sacrifice once and for all, for all time. Remember in the temple, they had to keep sacrificing. They, they sacrificed heifers and goats and all sorts of stuff. Why? Because it was never enough. So what you have here is the Lord saying right back at the beginning, a picture of Jesus, bring me all the offerings, three years old, a picture of the life and the ministry of Jesus, right? And watch what we're going to do with it. You got me? 
Okay, isn't it cool how Jesus is right in the very beginning? And he brought him all of these. He cut them in half, right? And laid, <laughs> and laid each over the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And, you, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. This is looking forward to Egypt. And uh, afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Remember Psalm 105? They came out, out, of, out of slavery. Every single one of them was fit, and they were laden with all of the, the, the treasure of slavery, of the Egyptians, went with them. So it was prophesied right from the beginning. And, uh, but I'll bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possession. As for you, you shall go to your fathers, uh, fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. Anyone? Brilliant. And they shall uh, come back here in fourth generations for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Isn't that a mental story? Isn't that crazy? It's, but have you, have you, do you realize that's just a picture of Jesus? Let me show you why. It's incredible. because So what happens is the Lord calls Abraham, says, go west. And so he does. Here's the context. On the last chapter, Abraham's nephew Lot was captured by a number of kings. And Abraham takes 318 men and goes to rescue him. That's why he st starts with this. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your reward. And your reward will be very great. And so Abraham needed to know that God was looking after him. But, and so what he does is he reminds him about the promise that he had made 20 years previously. And Abraham goes, hold on a second, what reward? What are you talking about? So the Lord goes, I am your shield and I am your reward. And Abraham almost casts it back up in his face and goes, what reward? I'm still childless. You know, if none of you would be brave enough today, but I know probably, because it happens in my heart at times, where I go, promise, what promise? Anyone? It's okay. He loves you anyway. Stop hiding it. He doesn't need your pretense. He'll, he loves you anyway. And the more you can stop pretending with the Lord and putting on your, your, your Sunday face with him, the more you can receive grace upon grace and see your life change. That's the truth. He doesn't need, he doesn't need your Sunday best. He knows you intimately, every hair in your head. For some of you, that doesn't take very long, clearly, but you know what I mean. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> he got to know you quicker than other people. <laughs> so the Lord brings him outside, and he says, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. I couldn't stand in on Friday night in Donegal. And he says, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was accounted him to righteous. Now let's get to the, the really good bit. The second promise is that he will possess the land. So the first one is, here's the promise. All your descendants are going to be as numerous as that. The second one is you're going to possess the land, right? How on earth is that going to happen? Now watch this because it's mad. Let's go back to the heifers. Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought these and he cut them in half, laid them over the other. <coughs> these animals were cut in two. It's a picture of sacrifice. Now, can you imagine... Uh, imagine for a minute, all right, cutting a cow in half. No, straight up, go for it, in your head. How minging is that? Like a big cow. We saw some, even a sheep, right? But the funny thing is, if you go to Donegal, right, let me just throw this out. This annoyed me slightly. 
there's about five million sheep. That's all there is. There's just there's way more sheep than people, and there's no and loads of lambs at this time of the year. Penny loves lamb to eat. So we went to this pub. <laughs> Penny went, well, I'll have the leg of lamb, please. I went, no, we don't have any of that. <laughs> I thought, only in Ireland. I want to go, mate, have a look outside. There's literally like 10 million of them right outside your front door. Leg of lamb, no, don't have that. I thought, only in, only in Ireland. Set up with a smile, no hint of irony. Oh, sorry, none of that there. Oh, no, I was like, anyway. So it did make me chuckle. But you know what the point is? The point is there was blood spilt everywhere. When a sacrifice is made, it's bloody. It's disgusting. And it's minging, actually. The pieces are separated, set on the ground, and the two parties then would be bound together. And what would happen is, the co- how was the covenant made? When the sacrifice is made and the pieces are set, you would put them once, like if it was in this room, put literally split them down the middle. Then what happens is, if I was going to make a covenant with Adam, I would walk with Adam through the middle, right down here, off the pieces as a sign. And it was very common at the time. You can read in Jeremiah 34 about this. Now remember, a covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to work together to reach a common goal. But look what the Lord does. This is really important. The sacrifice is made and it's split at this point Every covenant that has been seen before, every agreement which is personal, is two people making commitments to each other, okay? But the Lord knew that you could never do that. So what does he do? Let's read it. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain, what's the whole point of that? A deep sleep, and behold, a a great darkness. I I don't have time. It's a picture of Jesus in the days between the cross and the resurrection and what happens in in that time. But then the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not there, okay? And so what happens is he falls asleep. And as he does this, let's read on, I'll bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the inequity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What happens is, he put, this is mad, he puts Abraham to sleep, and when he's asleep, he starts to show him what the story is going to look like. He shows him the future story of his people. Abraham is out for the count. He's out cold. And what's interesting is, he's out for the count. He's out cold. But the Lord is showing him future blessing, future prosperity, future inheritance, all the fulfillment of God's promise is being downloaded to Abraham. And do you know what he's not doing? He's not taking part in the ceremony. Now, why would God do that? I think this is phenomenal, right? It says in 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, right? A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Why fire? What's fire used for in the Bible? It's often used to describe the physical manifestation of the presence and the glory of God in the Old Testament. So here we see God himself. So as the the, the smoking pot and the fire goes through, it's a picture of God passing through the pieces. What happens is God is fulfilling 
every part of the ceremony and the covenant is him doing it and not Abraham. Do you know what the, the point is for you and I? He didn't need Abraham to make a covenant of future blessing with him. Do you get that? The Lord doesn't need your bit. The Lord doesn't need your effort. The Lord doesn't need anything for you because he knew that you were never enough. And actually, what, what the world will say is, you are enough. You're strong enough. You can do it. No, you can't. Throw yourself fully on the grace of God. Why? It looks to the world like it's stupid. It looks like weakness. It looks like it's, it's some kind of like sissiness almost. Like, oh, those Christians, they... No, it's not. We, it's actually what the world doesn't understand is when you feel like you're the weakest, you're the strongest. Why? Because grace is at work in you. And so what's... Do you know what I love about this? It wasn't just about God fulfilling the, the, the covenant. I, do you know what I actually think of what it was? I, I th what does it tell us about the Lord this morning? I believe that he's actually protecting Abraham from the very worst consequences of covenant failure because he knew that Abraham would never be able to do it. And he knew that God... He, he looked at Abraham and out of his love, he went, he's never going to be able to do it. He looks at you today and goes, you're never going to be able to do it. So actually what he did was he protected us from the very beginning. Because if you made a covenant with someone and you broke your promise, then there was all of the consequences that came from breaking the promise. Do you get that? And so the, when the Lord looked at us, he goes, you'll never be able to do it. So I'm going to take you out of the ceremony. I'm going to fulfill it for your behalf. And in doing that, I'm protecting you from all the worst consequences of your screw-ups. Amen. Somebody give me yes and amen. Lord, that is such a good message. And that's what he does. He will not let Abraham's failure, and this is why he's showing him. He takes him to the side, puts him to sleep. It's a deep sleep, and it's not just get out of my way so I can do this. He's showing him and releasing him into his future by going, I am going to do, I'm going to pass between the pieces. I'm going to make this covenant, and as I do that, this is what's going to happen for you. Do you get that? Stop thinking that you are enough and just start to say, Jesus, thank you that even when I am out of it, you're still working and showing me what my future... That's why, do you know, that's why it happens. Do you, do you ever find that even at times that even when you know that you're not enough, you still have the capacity to dream for more? There's still something in you that goes, I can believe that tomorrow's my best days. Anybody? That's exactly what's happening here. The Lord, just as, he, as he's passing through, doing the work on our behalf, he's given us the capacity to dream about the promise of God in our lives for our future. And he's showing us, it's not just for now, Abraham, it's for your generations. Can I encourage you today? Stop just thinking about yourself because the promise of God over your life today is because he went through for you, your children and your grandchildren, your extended families and everything else will walk in the fullness and the favor of God. Amen. <laughs> mm. so God makes a covenant and do you know what he does he makes a, an agreement where he shoulders the consequence of our failure that's what Jesus has done for us today I absolutely love it see when you stop pretending and stop letting on and stop and just go actually I know I remember I said at the very start, this is not a manifesto for laziness. Or just going, well, you know, the Lord knew I was going to be a bit of a mess here a lot. That's not the point. You've been set free from it so that you can live in the promise that God is downloading to you. Do you get that? Abraham still had to move. He still had to uproot his family. He still had to respond in faith. He still had to move from the place where he was 
to the place where God called him to be. He takes a bit of a detour in the middle of it all, but then his father-in-law dies, and he keeps moving. He keeps moving towards the promise that God had for him. You get me? So don't take this message today. I'm like, ah, brilliant. I'm off the hook. It's not. If you do that, I just go, you haven't even begun to understand the grace of God. It's not, a, it's, it's not a, an excuse for laziness. It's a catalyst for faith. To go, what I, you know, for, for me, I go, well, if God, if you have done that, if you shouldered the worst of my, con, uh, like the worst of my consequences and the worst of my failure, if you pre-programmed in from the very beginning and gave us this picture right from the very beginning that you would make the covenant, right? And you would fulfill every covenant that went before so, so that I could just go, yeah. I go, no, that's not. Surely we're missing it. Surely our response needs to be, yes, Lord, amen. And it frees me then from the worry of not being enough. Because what grace does is it puts Jesus right back into the center, takes my effort and my self-reliance and sets it to the side so that I can receive clarity about the promise of grace in my life and what it's going to do in my family. Amen? Good, I'm going to finish up. Jesus did this. He, he pulls this all together, actually, in Luke 22. <clears throat> we celebrated this last Friday. He took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. It says in Luke 22, 19. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this and remember me. He took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. So he takes the body again, the, the, the bread, and he, and he breaks it. And do you know um, how they would have broken it? The way we, you know, the old COVID, the old COVID wafers that we're still eating, right? I actually prefer that. In my last church, what we used to do, there'd be one big cup, right? And communion Sunday was a nightmare because, like, there'd been bits of chewing gum and all floating in it by the time you got up. <laughs> Don't want to gross you out, but it's the truth, right? And you, it's like, and why did they do the bread before the wine? Because it's always floaties. You know what I mean? You're like, it was like stew some Sunday mornings. <laughs> Not minging, like, stinking. <laughs> Pass the stew along. Oh, book. Nightmare. <laughs> you think I exaggerate these things? I promise you it's the truth. Promise you, right? <laughs> Lovely. No, but what, the way, if you, if you, I've been to Israel a few times, I don't know if I've mentioned that, and what they do is they, they take bread, and when Jesus took the bread, you know the way we do this, take a wee bit and pass it on. They don't do that. They take it and they rip it in half. Right? They break it into two. Okay? And that's, that's how they break bread. And you kind of go, why? Well, all the way back to Genesis 15, he takes the sacrifice, he breaks it in half. Jesus does the very same. And then he takes the blood and he says, this is the new covenant, the one where I walked through so that you wouldn't have to and your failure would never put at risk the covenant that I made. I, I think, just my last words on this, I, I think that supreme act of love and generosity and grace that God gives us today is just incredible, isn't it? He's faithful where we're unfaithful. And I know that you're going to fail this week, and so will I. But here's your application for tomorrow. In your moment of failing, don't go back to yourself and go, well, tomorrow I might be enough. Now you'll not be enough tomorrow. But in faith say, you went through so that I can still 
believe, still dream, still see with faith that my best days are still to come. Amen? Isn't he good? Close your eyes and let's pray. Ladies, if you want to come up. Father, I want to thank you for your word this morning. I want to thank you, Father, that in this place, it's a place of grace. It's a place of freedom. Lord, I want to thank you that in this place this morning that we can remember that you went through for us. Lord, we don't need to give ourselves to the lie that uh, we need to try more, do more, be more. Father, what we need to do is we need to receive in faith the pictures of grace and the truth of the covenant that you have made with us. Lord, that you went through for us. From the very beginning, you were always showing us Jesus. And it's always been about Jesus. It's always been about you. It's always been about your work. It's always been about your, your grace in our lives. Lord, we thank you for that because to many people, that, that surrender and that place of, 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 of surrender, that's what it is, to the grace of God, can look foolish to the world, but we don't conform to that pattern, Lord. Instead, Father, we know that at that place, that's where we're strongest. Father, I thank you that you have shouldered today all the consequences for our failure. And you went through. And as you went through, Lord, you showed us, you painted pictures, Lord. Even, you know, in those worst moments, Father, you can help us to paint pictures of our future, of the promise of God, of the deliverance of God, of the healing of God of the grace of God working in our lives. Jesus, we thank you for that truth today. I, I pray that your confession this week in your worst moments and your failure moments would be he went through for me. As you take communion and you break the bread this week in your homes, he, he went through for me. Every sacrifice that had to be made was completed for me so that I can stand free. So Jesus, we thank you for that truth. We receive it today. We say thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. And this week, we're going to mix it with faith. For some of us, Lord, we're going to learn to be generous givers. For some of us, Lord, we're going to learn to be not so much critical of others. For others, Lord, we're going to learn to look past ourselves and our own preferences Knowing, Father, that as we serve and we love the people around us, share your gospel, share your good news, that you are filling us up all the time. Father, we're going to say no to self. We're going to say no to that which cuts us off from the flow of grace. And we're going to say, because this doesn't depend on me, then I am, you know, it's like I am free to take a whack at it this week in faith, to push where I've never pushed before, to try what I've never tried before, to speak where I've never spoken before, to take courage this week because the covenant of God's goodness and faithfulness in my life is not dependent on me getting it right or wrong. So that causes faith in me to take more risks, to have more courage, to speak up more. And I pray that over you this morning. The confidence that only comes 
only comes from the Lord. Would so fill you this week. Would so fill your heart this week. Would strengthen your very bones this week. And all God's people said. Stand to your feet. We're going to worship the Lord together. And uh, just take this moment. Don't, don't start to wander off in your head. We're going to take our offering as well. Be generous in your giving. Can I encourage you to do that? There's a spirit of generosity that comes with grace. Grace is not stingy, looking for the minimum. Grace overflows. And so I, I would encourage you, don't believe the lie that you'll not have enough. Okay? Put it into the hands of the one who multiplies it and blesses it way beyond what you could ever do. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. There is no cost of living crisis in heaven today. Can I get somebody give me an amen? amen. There's no cost of living crisis in heaven. God is not subject to our economy. He's above it all. He's timeless in that respect. He owns it all. And he will supply and bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. So be generous in your giving. But let's worship the Lord together. Lift our heads and our hearts. Have a song of victory on our lips as we go from here today. Amen.